as we've been going through, and oh, we're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter five, verses twelve through fifteen. A whole long passage here. Um, turn there with me, if you will, because I have to get there as well. I thought as we were going through, we got through a long section. We're going to be, we're going to continue just cruising right on through. We can get to uh, on to the next book. As you look through this last section here. I see Paul doing a lot of things in short verses, or in a short number of verses. As a title, uh, I don't know if anybody that saw it on Facebook, hopefully it went out. I, I try, try and keep those things updated ahead of time. That way it gives everybody that would see it uh, opportunity to read through the passage and study a little bit before we got here this morning. So that we can um, be a little bit preview of what we're going to be talking about. But um, looking at growing a healthy flock, what it means to be a healthy, well, church. Responsibilities that we have, things like that. Now, um, it's interesting because Paul, okay, uh, dumb question, how many here have written a letter before? Like handwritten a letter. Now type one out, okay? In the, in the ending of your letter, when you're wrapping it up, do you ever introduce new things? No, not generally you don't. You'd be just saying final salutations, whatever, I can't wait to see you, however it goes, unless it's a nasty letter, which I know nobody ever wrote a nasty letter. Um, <laughs> you don't tend to say, well, and, and this, and, and this, and this, and this, and continue on. You might put a PS or a PSS at the end, where you, or however that goes, saying, oh yeah, I forgot when I was writing. You know, we don't tend to do that in emails or anything like that anymore, because we can just go back. But on a typewriter, when, yes, I know what a typewriter is, or when you're handwriting, you don't have the luxury of going back and just moving the cursor up. Then you might introduce something new. But Paul does this quite a bit, actually, and he's, he's doing the same thing here. So we look at, at verses, excuse me, 12, it starts with an and. It's new. And now we're but... All the same word, depending on how you want to look at it. I mean, all the same word in, in the Greek and how it would be translated out. He's going to bring up a new topic. Talking about sheep, shepherds. I want to ask this question. How many of you have ever owned and worked and or worked with sheep before? Okay. I wasn't expecting anybody, and that's okay. Uh, my mom's family owns sheep. I've, I, I've worked with sheep. I've showed sheep. I, I, know, I, know, I know not exhaustive knowledge on sheep by any means, but I have had experience with them. But we're going to be talking about that. The picture is given in the scriptures of a shepherd and a sheep. We have Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Right. David was a Shepherd. David understood what a shepherd's responsibilities were, what their role was, how that played out, and everything there had to do with it. I do not. I won't be going into too much detail on that topic at this time, um, but we do have Psalm 23. When we get to that passage, we're going to go through it real slow, um, as we do with everything else, I guess. But we're going to go through that. We're going to look at that picture and exactly what that means. So if, if... And I should say, and as we look at the scriptures, we see in Acts. It's written to the leaders in Ephesus. They were called overseers that were told to take care of the flock. You have Jesus telling 
the disciples, uh, I blank and I think it's Peter, to take care of the sheep. I don't, I'm not the one who gave the analogy. I'm going to say that right now because we're going to talk about sheep and we're going to talk about shepherds a little bit, but I didn't do it, so it's not my fault. But the scriptures do talk about the relationship between the overseer or pastor as shepherd and the people in the congregation as the sheep. I'm actually really, um, I really like the analogy. I do. Um, of course, it's in the scripture, so I should like it, right? But I like the analogy that's given there. There's so much of a great picture. Uh, in one of my classes uh, I took at Northland, it was Biblical Manhood. Um, very good class, by the way. Um, to give a really good biblical perspective of what that means. My teacher was, um, actually was my pastor at the time, he was a missionary in Romania. And he said, when we were getting to that point of leadership, he, and he said, we don't have shepherds in America anymore. We don't. There are not people that live as a shepherd would live. And I, I really can't wait to get to this point in scriptures to talk about it. But we don't have that here. In today's day and age, we have farmers. Farmers are wonderful. I love farmers. Um, without them, we wouldn't be able to have a lot of things we have. There's a difference between a farmer and a shepherd when it comes to raising livestock. Shepherds were out in the fields at all times. I'm going to go a little bit deeper than I wanted to on this. But there is a big difference in that. Scriptures talk about those things. But he said when, we were, when he was in Romania, at a certain time of the year, you'd go into, you'd go into the town and you'd see all these, these flocks of sheep coming down out of the mountains with the shepherds leading their flocks. And, he, and so he knows firsthand what that's like. And to see that and how it all played out. And then he would talk, he, then he taught us what that means, what it means to be a leader as, as a shepherd would be. I will talk a little bit more about that here coming up, but for the sake of, of our, our time together this morning, I want to go operate off the basic understanding that a shepherd is one that oversees, cares for, and protects sheep. That is a big, easy term, or easy terms there to understand. It goes way deeper than that, but for today's for our, for our time today, that's where we're going to, to do that. But Paul starts out a new section here. He says, and we beseech you. Adding on. He's, he's wrapping things up. Uh, my, my understanding of the letters, you're not going to do that, but he is. He's starting to wind things down. Final exaltation, or exhortations, if you will. He starts to give several direct exhortations to the believers at Thessalonica to persevere and grow in their Christian walk. Now, I am going to ask this question. I know we know this. What was the main thing on the people in Thessalonica's mind at the time? He's writing this. What's their main concern? Yes, that the Lord had already come, that they missed the rapture, that they were going to be, that they were in the day of the Lord. Thank you. I know it's, it's, we've talked about a lot of things, but that was their main concern. He spent a couple, just a couple verses. He spent a good chunk of the letter talking about that day people and night people and, and all those things, the, death, the difference um, and, and their distinctions between their, 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 the believer's nature and their behavior and their destiny and, and whether they're, you know, the fact that the Lord is going to come and on that day, the day of the Lord, the wicked world will be judged and how the believers won't be there. We, we spend a long time talking about that. That's their main concern. 
they're not concerned about anything else necessarily as a major topic, and that's why he spent so much time talking about it. But Paul knew something different. Of course he did. Paul knew that the real pressing matter was that the believers needed to live holy lives in the present and to continue to grow in grace, in Christ-likeness. This is why he starts to change the subject a little bit. Remember, I say remember, and if you do, wonderful. If not, it's okay. I only talked about it for just a little bit. But the Thessalonian believers thought that, and they believed wholeheartedly, and there's nothing wrong with this, that the Lord was going to return right now. So they didn't act or live or behave according to the way they should because they're standing there waiting. Waiting for God to come. They didn't live out their responsibilities. And we, we spent some time talking about that. But Paul is saying here now as he shifts is okay. So I'm going to say this again in a few minutes. You guys have done really well, but continue to grow. Get better. Be better. Not that they were doing anything wrong necessarily, just encouraging them to go better or get better. The Bible says in verse 12, well, no, we'll read our passage this morning. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace amongst yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, feeble support the weak, be patient towards all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. There's a beseeching and an exhortation. Lord willing, we will get through most of it. I, as always, will never plan on finishing an entire passage in one sermon, though it would be a miracle. We've got really three things that we can look at this morning. Uh, we're going to get through two of the three for sure. Um, we're talking about excuse me, responsibilities. We have the shepherd's responsibility to the sheep. On the other side, we have the sheep's responsibility to the shepherd. And as, as and like I said, we're probably not going to get to the point, the way I'll put it, because the way I've read it in other commentaries isn't, doesn't seem to sit very well, is working with sheep. Like other commentaries say dealing with sheep. And that's not one of those things. Dealing is a very negative thing. I never say that I have to deal with the sheep. I get to work with. But we're looking at verses 12 and 13 specifically this morning. We see directives concerning the relationship between the pastor and people. Now, when I say I didn't pick any of these terms, there's really um, some things that, we'll, that we're going to talk about. And what it makes me laugh. I'll put it this way. It makes me laugh because what month is this? Pastor Appreciation Month. One of the things that the pastor says is that he doesn't appreciate me. I didn't do it. I didn't plan it that way. I didn't look that far ahead. Um, and, 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 and I'll say all of this, or all, all that to say is you guys have done way more than I could ever, 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 ever expected or thought of in appreciating me. Um, I know I sound like I'm apologizing a little bit for what I'm going to say, but it's just, it's just goofy because of the timing of everything. But we're going to start out this morning, look at the responsibility of the shepherd to the sheep. Off the top of your head, 
Do you know how many terms that we have in the Bible? Specifically just in the New Testament, we won't go any further back. That describe a leader in the church. The pastor. We've got at least four. Four different terms, four different words in the English, four different words and terms in the Greek as well that give us all little bits and pieces, and it's not little, they're big deals, of what a shepherd is supposed to be, or how the role is supposed to be taken. I'll give, um, I'm going to butcher the Greek a little bit, but just to show you that they are different, we have the idea of an elder, presbyteros, characterized Leaders as, as the spiritual, excuse me, spiritually mature and wise. Overseer or bishop we have in the King James is episkopos. I think it's interesting because you have presbyteros as presbytery, you have episkopos as episcopalian, and you have these different things where they get these terms from. Just so you know, fun fact for you. Not that it really matters at this point, but. The bishop describes a leader's spiritual oversight and authority. If pastor or playman emphasizes the leader's responsibility to feed and protect the flock, the pastor is where you get shepherd or the idea of shepherd from. And finally, leader. I know there's more. We could go into more, but I've got these for the leader is hagemon. It indicates that the church leader needs to be able to provide spiritual discernment and guidance for that flock or my flock, if you will. Think about that. We have a couple thousand or so years, not quite, of church history. Of time for people to grow, to understand, become mature in leadership roles in the church, to go and, and be trained to do so. I'm not saying that every pastor in the world has to or ever had to go to Bible college and get a degree, though I believe it's beneficial to have the training to do so if you can. Um, but we've got a long history and time for that to develop, right? They didn't. Thessalonica, that church there was maybe a year old. So to find somebody in that congregation of believers, maybe a year saved? Spiritually mature and wise. To take oversight. And now you remember the churches of that day aren't like they were today. Many of the people in, the, in those churches were, I mean, we have common everyday people, of course. But were slaves. They didn't know leadership. Nobody in their family ever had leadership roles before. They were slaves. They served. They didn't know what that, what that was like. So imagine Paul... Looking at a group of people that are all new, new believers, haven't had the time to grow, haven't had the time to be trained, haven't had the time to do any of that, and yet selecting, using discernment, of course, and, and his authority and the working of the Holy Spirit to pick out and select individuals out of that congregation that would show the traits necessary to be a leader, even though they weren't used to it, and to start training them too. That's why in the beginning of the letter and all the way through up, in, up until now, he never talks about the pastor. As far as I can understand, he doesn't talk about the leaders as being pastor, elder, deacon, bishop, or any of those things. But he says, and those that rule over you. And 
would have been very interesting time. And it's interesting that we'll get to, I'm gonna say this now, I'll say it again, hopefully if I don't, because I don't, I don't wanna forget. Whole group of congregation, all new believers, mostly from the same walks of life, slaves, common people, some upper class individuals, but new believers. Could you imagine sitting across the room from somebody else and you're an equal spiritual level, equal growth, and say, that person is a leader and I am not. The respect and all the things that we're going to be looking at for that leader in that day would have been different because they were all the same. People are different, of course, but they were all at the same place. So when we look at this, this is not a, this is how it, it, it this is not written to us for, for right now. This was written to them in their day. So things are a little bit different. So as we look at this, keep in mind that they did not have the same understanding of what church is that we do now. Because we have a couple thousand years of church history to look back on. We're close to it. Bible says in verse 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, the leaders, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. When you look through the scriptures and you see Paul saying these, we beseech you to do something, or Peter, or anybody saying, we beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, and you go through these things, what do you think of? Command? I'm telling you to do this. We could see Paul doing the same thing here, saying, I'm telling you right now that you guys, sorry for the common terminology, you guys need to know the, the leaders of your church that labor among you and that are over you in the Lord and then admonish you. But he's not. He's not telling them a command because that wouldn't, that wouldn't make sense. At this point, Paul is talking about something that is brand new to them. They don't understand spiritual leadership. They don't understand what it is to be a leader anyways because most of them aren't and never were ever going to be. They hardly understand all of the scriptures because he's been correcting their thinking on specific things. They've got a great understanding, and Paul commends them throughout the whole, well, a lot of the letter, at least specifically in the beginning, on how well they're doing. So it wouldn't make sense that he's saying, you guys are doing great, and then just nail them. No. This is where you see Paul is gently encouraging them. We talked about that back in uh, chapter 3. I know that was probably four months ago. Um, but that, that one of my favorite terms has become, one of my favorite terms, the paraclete, the comforter. Coming alongside and, 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 and guiding them, gently guiding them, and teaching them as a father would. In, in, in the Bible's terminology, that is. He's doing the same thing here. He says, you guys are doing great. You're excelling. You're a model church. These are some areas where you're lacking, and I'm going to teach you those things. And I'm going to say, continue to get better in this. So it's gentle. So first responsibility is to labor. I laugh. I'm sorry. There are some people. I, I talked to an individual. And I said, uh, they said, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, so what, what, do you, what else do you do? Because yeah, obviously that's, you know, knowing my personality, he said, that's not enough work for you. 
it's not enough money for your family, which that's why I'm not even going into money. That's not where I'm going. It just, that was part of our conversation. But he said, so what, you sit in your office a couple days a week and write out some stuff and then you get up and talk a couple days a week? And I just paused. I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> of course I don't. People don't understand. No, most people don't. I didn't understand all of what being a pastor entails, and I still don't. But I know it's more than that. Most people, when they would read this, would say, pastors laboring and doing work? It's not physical work. It's not exhausting. All I have to do is my favorite thing in the world. Pick up my book, my Bible, and read it, and study it, and then tell you all what I've learned. Right? There's no work in that. It's pleasure. Find something you enjoy doing and you never work a day in your life. There is a bit of truth, only a bit to that. He's talking about labor among you. This is diligent labor, exhibiting great effort. A faithful pastor, I, when I go through all these things, again, I'm explaining away a little bit. I'm not talking about me. And I'm not talking about you. I'm going through the passage as Paul has presented it. But a faithful pastor works hard amongst the people and ministers to them as a shepherd does with a sheep. Or in a way we may be able to understand a little bit better as a, as a father does leading his family. Shepherding sheep isn't easy. I mean actual shepherds and sheep isn't easy. There's a lot of work and taking care of any animals at any level anyways, but there's a lot of work there. Spiritual shepherds must proclaim the gospel, explain and apply the truth, admonish the sheep to grow, and counsel them with the scriptures. Obviously, we're talking spiritual shepherds here, not actual, because I don't think the sheep would quite understand Thinking back uh, a couple months ago, we talked about uh, chapter 2, actually. In verse 9, Paul, Paul writes this. This is, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we, we proclaimed unto you the gospel of God. What did Paul do? What was his job? What was his source of income? He was a tent maker. Literally making tents. I know we talk about tent making ministries, but the idea is still the same. Paul worked and labored and did everything he could to support himself and the ministry that they were doing so that it would not be any burden to the new churches. He could have said, I am the Apostle Paul. By apostolic right, you should be taking care of me, but he didn't. He worked hard. He did what he needed to do. It wasn't just that. That it wasn't just the physical labor that, that he was talking about. He was also talking about sharing the gospel and counseling and discipling and training and all the things that it took to get the church off the ground. Obviously, the Holy Spirit's the one doing the growing in the people, but somebody had to do the work to plant the seed and to water and to reap the harvest and then to take that new plant and then train it. And we're not just talking about one person. We're talking about a, a congregation of believers. He lived out that example in front of them. So they knew what he was talking about. And we get to look back on it and see that same example that we can follow in leadership. 
True leadership is not something very common today. It's unfortunate. In a lot of people's minds, a lot of people's minds, the leader is the person up, up on the pedestal. They make all the decisions. They delegate everything out to anybody else. They're untouchable. They're perfect. And they don't have to do anything except tell people what to do. It's difficult. You think kings. Not today's kings, but back in, the, in those days, you had a king. The king didn't have to work. The king just said, I want this to be done, and so it is written, so it shall be done. End of story. They had a lush, lavish life, and they didn't serve anybody because serving somebody is not a leadership thing, is it? I'm going to argue that it is. But that's the idea that a lot of our our, our, our culture has today. But true biblical leadership takes the form of a servant. Christ is the ultimate example. Washing the disciples' feet. Did you know, a little fun fact for you, that, that was the lowest job. So low in the Jewish mind that I couldn't ask another Jew to do it if I was Jewish at that time. You couldn't do that. That was absolutely lowest of the low. You don't wash other people's feet. And yet, what does Jesus do? He washes the disciples' feet. And what's the first reaction? No, 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 no. Don't wash my feet. Jesus was teaching. Servitude. To be the leader, the rabbi that he was, to go and place himself at the lowest of the low to serve his disciples was a great picture for us. Paul was an excellent model as well of diligent servant leadership. It should be characterized by every leader, not just here, but every leader today. Successful leadership in the church comes from those willing to work to the point of exhaustion for the sake of the divine mandates and objectives that we have in the scriptures to preach the gospel, embrace and proclaim the gospel to everybody we can. Anybody who will listen to establish churches and edify the believers or build them up to teach them, to encourage them. When I was up at Northland, the only regret I have for not graduating from there uh, was, I mean, really it was a matter of time. Had we been able to be there longer, I would have. Um, and long story, but anyways, when you graduated from Northland International University, which used to be Northland Baptist Bible College, you got a gift. Now, when I graduated from Maranatha, they gave us books. Wonderful book. I have no problem with that. When, we graduated from, when you graduated from Northland, you got a towel. Three words on that towel. First to our be great. Okay? I graduated from college. I get to go be great. And right underneath that, if I, if I remember how it was laid out, it said serve. The whole idea behind ministry there, and in many places, ministry, you know, in, in seminary or in Bible college, is servant leadership. I cannot tell you the amount of times that I had my, excuse me, my manager or bosses or people higher ups in the college serving. I had seen them, them serving the kids, the college kids, us going out of their way to serve us. 
and exemplifying servant leadership so that we would grasp a great understanding of what it means to be a leader, whether it's pastor or deacon or, or any leadership role anywhere. It doesn't matter. That we would have a great biblical understanding that, that what it means to be a great leader is to actually put yourself lower and to serve and to willfully and willingly do so. Second responsibility is to exercise authority. That sounds like a fun thing. It's not. I'll just put that out there. I, I, I enjoy what I do or what guys allow me to do, but exercising authority is a, is a new, new concept for me. But chapter, uh, verse 12 says, and are over you in the Lord. The idea of being over them in this passage is not that they are Lord over, ruler over the group or the congregation there, yet that they will, it means that they would stand, be standing before them. The leadership isn't a lording over, I am your boss and you need to obey me. That's, that doesn't work in the first place for the purposes of what God has intended us to. But standing before them and authoritatively residing, directing and leading the sheep. A shepherd can tell the sheep to do whatever he wants them to do, and they may not obey. He's not going to say, I'm your boss, and you need to stop eating grass. It doesn't work that way. They'll eat until they're dead. It's, it's, it's weird. But to direct and to lead. Pastors stand in the place of the cheap shepherd. Cheap. I said that earlier, too. Oh. Chief shepherd, not cheap shepherd. Shepherd. Christ is the chief shepherd. You know what I mean. Christ is the chief shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He is the overseer of all the sheep. I'm one of them. And so are you, if you are a believer. But in his place physically here, I am an under-shepherd. A pastor is the under-shepherd, the leader of the local flock of believers representing Christ here. That's a weighty measure. Just want to put that out there. But I'm delegated. I'm the delegated under-shepherd. Pastors are delegated under-shepherds exercising oversight in Christ's authority, not my own. But why does he say, in the Lord? They knew that the leaders were believers, right? At least that makes sense. They would have to be believers to be a leader in the church, correct? Should be. But in the Lord here, it gives the idea that the pastors are not self-appointed. We don't use our own authority. We are not equipped by our own study and our own doing. I don't put myself here. I don't have my own authority. But yet that God has equipped pastors and, and, and we were appointed by him. It is our duty as pastors to lead the sheep for his sake and never for our own glory, power, prestige, wealth, or advancement in our own career. That's generally the mindset of, of the world. I take a position of, of, of work or I do certain things that advance my career. I make more money. I get prestigious you know, awards or whatever. I'm striving to be greater and greater and greater and greater. And that's not the idea here. 
the idea is that we are here to exalt him, to advance his kingdom, not our own. And there are responsibility to provide instruction. And admonish you, the scriptures say, the third responsibility for the shepherd to the sheep is to admonish them or give them instruction. Now, I'm not talking about me telling you what to do or a pastor telling other people what to do or even an impersonal academic teaching. I love teaching. I really do. And I know there's teachers in the room this morning and uh, this afternoon now, if I can see right. We just passed. But teaching is a wonderful thing. I love it. But that's not what we're talking about here. Just to, and I'm not saying this would be the case for anybody, but to just fill somebody's head with knowledge is not what we're talking about. Knowing facts is a wonderful thing. I know a bunch of useless facts that are good for absolutely nothing. I'm one of those guys. But we spend Sunday nights, 5 o'clock? Yeah, 5, okay. 5 o'clock on Sunday nights, and we're, and we're talking through doctrine, teaching, seemingly useful, excuse me, useless knowledge to some. Why would I spend half hour, 40 minutes, whatever time it is, talking and teaching when we could be taking part in God's word and, 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 and walking through it together like we do on Sunday mornings? And I've said this quite a bit, actually, on Sunday nights. The reason that we do this is so that we can have a greater understanding of who God is who we are in relation to him, how he relates to us and, and works with us through the working of the Holy Spirit and his word and all those things so that we can have a greater understanding of these things so that we can worship him more, so that we can understand his word. It's not just filling your head with knowledge. That's, that's, that's not hard. But to take those things and to teach it for a greater understanding of these things is what a pastor's duty and responsibility to the flock is. It's instruction for the purpose of correcting and changing people. Not me changing people. I can't do that. But providing the instruction from God's word that the Holy Spirit can use in the individual's life to show them their need for change. Teaching with an element of warning designed to direct the sheep to holy living. That's what Paul did. He taught them, he exhorted them, he admonished them, he told them these things so that they would be more like Christ. Not so that they'd be like Paul. Not so that they'd follow him and what he wanted them to do, but that they would be more like Christ. The shepherd must be able to teach in a manner that exhorts believers to practice truth. And if I remember correctly, apt to teach or able to teach is one of the only actual commands of ability for a pastor. When you're looking for the qualifications of a pastor, which is, you know, somewhat recent in our minds, you have to teach is one of the only actual, tangible things. Other things are, are character qualities and traits. Now, I'm going to stop there. I'm actually not even as far as I wanted to be. Again, normal. We, we, we understand this. Um, it's an awesome responsibility. I'm not saying any of these, any of these things to, to say it's hard or it's bad or anything like that. And, and to be completely honest, I am crazy enough to enjoy it. I love the responsibilities. But this wasn't about us. This passage is written to a bunch of believers that had no idea what it was. And so for us to be able to look at the scriptures and to say, okay, 
the leader, the pastor, the shepherd needs, should be doing these things is good for us. It's good for us to see what our responsibilities are to one another. And as we'll talk about, not next week because we have special meetings, but the week after, we're going to start to talk about the, some of the sheep's responsibility to the shepherd. And the whole idea of all of this is that when I fulfill my roles and responsibilities to the, to the way that God has them, and when the congregation and the sheep fulfill their roles and responsibilities the way that God has set them forth, then our church can grow and be in harmony and in peace and, and it can be a wonderful thing as much as God has intended it to be. And it's when we fail at these things that we don't. And it's not peaceful or enjoyable or any of those things. So stay tuned. I'll leave you a big cliffhanger because we won't even get to it next week. We'll start talking about sheep a little bit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together this morning. Thank you that we were able to uh, begin to look at this passage, spend some time looking at what you have given as a responsibility for spiritual leaders in the church, for me as a pastor, Father, for our deacons and elders and anybody else who would seek leadership here or fulfill those roles, how we ought to be, act, and do. Lord, I pray that that you'd help us to have a greater understanding of who you are in relation to these things, the order that you've given for, for us and how we ought to be. Father, we, we think of the, the, the opportunities we have coming up this week for, for ministry and the special meetings and the hunter's banquet and even with the, with the funeral, Father, we, we pray that you'd equip us with the abilities to do these things. Give us a great understanding of who you are through them. And Father, I pray that you'd be comforting those that are hurting and through these times with the funeral and with, through his family. Pray, Lord, that as we go from here, you'd bless the rest of our day. Give us traveling mercies as we go home and, and be preparing our hearts and bring us back here safely again tonight to spend more time around your word. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.